Jamal. So we always start with, with a review. And two weeks ago, not last week, because last week we had the missionaries come. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this week we had so many requests for healing prayer. Prayer for healing. Because if you were here and heard the missionary, he just sort of matter-of-factly pointed to his wife and said, yeah, my wife was in a wheelchair, but God healed her and then he went on. She had been sick for 10 years, progressively worse and worse. And uh, then landed in a wheelchair. In her mind, she was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And God healed her. And they just sort of took it for granted. Yeah, God healed my wife. She's not in a wheelchair. I'm looking at her while he's talking. She's completely healthy, walking around like there's no ill effects of whatever it was that was wrong with her. And that's who God is. And see, that's what God does. That's what God wants to do. Through his people who are willing to believe that. At least I believe that. So how do I explain when God doesn't heal? I can't, I don't, but I fully trust him. And you keep pressing in, you keep pressing in. As long as there's breath, you press in for healing because that's who God is. And if you die, it's win-win. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's appointed unto all of us once anyhow to die. That's what we're all heading for. And if you're a believer, that's what you're looking forward to. So it's win-win. Right, Richard? You look like you're thinking about that one. That's not even in the notes. Now I'm going to have to go longer because I said all that stuff. Last week's missionary speakers seemed to be very well appreciated. Thank you, church. We had a great question and answer time in the luncheon. If you want to sign up to receive their newsletter, some of you who couldn't stay, they passed a clipboard to receive their, a newsletter from them. You can see Tiffany or Deb, and we'll get you signed up on that. Now, two weeks ago, I was in the pulpit. The title was, More Bad Luck. Remember what the crew feared would happen? What God prophesied through Paul would happen actually happened. Shipwreck. However, in accordance with God's promise, his prophetic word, even though they had shipwrecked on the island of Malta, all lives were spared. Only the cargo and the actual ship was lost. No loss of life. I don't know if this computed with us. 276 Sailors, soldiers, and prisoners were spared. Their lives were spared, serious shipwreck, because of the favor that was on Paul and his companions. And I can't emphasize it enough. Because of the favor that's on you, you who are walking in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, because of the favor that's on you, people around you are being blessed. But... Then, for Paul at least, after surviving hurricane-force storm for two full weeks, brutal shipwreck, when he finally felt like he's safe and sound on this island, he's bitten by a poisonous viper. More bad luck, right? Or was it bad luck, as we would say in the world? No, it was not bad luck. And it was not bad karma. That's something you hear so much today, isn't it? Feeling some bad karma. Don't fear bad karma. God is greater than bad karma. 
So it wasn't bad luck and it wasn't bad karma, as the natives thought. Yeah, he's a robber. Justice is getting him. He's going to die. Bad karma on Paul. It wasn't anything like that. Paul survived the snake bite unharmed. And God had the people's attention. Bam. Through that act of guarding Paul from certain death from this type of snake. Bam. God had their attention. And now that he had their attention, are you with me? Do I have your attention? Be great if I could heal somebody and get your attention, but not there yet. Moving there, but not there yet. So after he had their attention by Paul, nothing happening to Paul, he figured he'd amaze them even further, and he healed the chief, the, the chief official's father of a fever and dysentery. Then he decided he'll go a little further. This is God I'm speaking about through Paul, and he healed all the sick on the island. That's who God is, yesterday, today, and forever. That's our God you know. He was saving souls on the island of Malta. He was healing diseases on the island of Malta. He's still saving souls today, and he's still healing the sick today. Our point to ponder was this. As fully committed believers and kingdom workers for Christ, we need to be prepared for adversity. And adversity, and this is what we need to hear today, especially with the number of people who came forward to be prayed, adversity adversity does not mean God is not present. Adversity does not mean God is not working. That's a trap. That's a deception in our thinking. God is at work in the adversity. That's the end of the review. If you'll stand with me. Pauline, if you'll come to the mic, wait till we're all standing and settled. We'll honor God's word together, Acts 28, 11 through 16. Paul arrives at home. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island of an Alexandrian ship with twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse. We stayed there three days. From there, we sailed across to Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing, so the following day, we sailed up the coast to Puitoli. There, we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. So the title today is No Doubt, or Do Not Doubt, or Have No Doubt, but just No Doubt. And I'll explain the title later in the conclusion and the application. You might not be able to figure out how the title fits with the passage. 
You'll figure it out when we hit the application. So let's begin the exegesis. A lot of good stuff here today. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered on the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Okay, three months. They spent the winter, the winter on the island of Malta. Three months for Paul and his companions anxiously waiting to sail again. So sometime around early March, they set out. Twin gods, just some information for us. The names of these twin gods were Castor, C-A-S-T-O-R, and Pollux, P-O-L-L-U-X. In Greek mythology, they were the sons of Zeus. Very popular gods in Greek and Roman mythology of that day. They were supposedly the patron saint of distressed sailors. So they had figureheads of these two gods on this ship that they were getting on. It doesn't actually figure into the story, but I thought I'd give you some explanation. These gods were supposed to provide safety, protection, blessing to sailors on dangerous seas. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed across the Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing, so that the following day, following day, we sailed up the coast to Puttioli. You forgot everything I told you, Pauline, about that word. You got to say it with your hands. Puttioli. Puttioli. Yeah. You get the pizza in the Puttioli. Some history and some geography. Syracuse, not New York. Get the right frame of reference here. Syracuse, not New York, was on the east coast of Sicily, 90 miles from Malta. It was the capital city of Sicily. It still exists today. It's a very, a, a lot of tourists visit there, Syracuse, uh, Sicily. It's popular with tourists. Regium was on the southern tip of Italy. It's still home today of 10,000 inhabitants. Puttioli, a port city on the west coast of Italy. It's also still in existence today, but it's no longer Puttioli. And I couldn't pronounce the new name, so I'm not, <laughs> I don't have it. Pozioli or Pozioli or something like that. Any, any Italian people in here? Donna? <laughs> Sicily, that's, that's your ancestors, right, Sicily? Just be careful around Donna. She comes from Sicily if you get... Her, her maiden name was Bianca, so you just want to be on your toes around her. Well, Puttioli was about 180 miles from Syracuse, and it's only a shell of the once great harbor that it was in Paul's day. This is interesting. There we found some believers who invited us to spend the week with them. So in Puttioli, they found or they met up with some believers, followers of Christ. Interesting. There were already believers in Italy. There was already an established church in Puttioli, as well as in Rome, when Paul and his companions arrived there at 60 AD. Now, there's much speculation on how the gospel got there already. How did it already reach Rome? And one explanation that, that I found that, that I like, so I'm going to share it with you. It's not the only explanation but it's one plausible explanation. It comes from Acts chapter 2. See if you can pick up on this. At the time, this is Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, 
at the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers, the 120 in the upper room. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, that's down in Africa, and around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. Oh, interesting, isn't it? Visitors from Rome, Cretans, that's the Isle of Crete, and Arabs, all the, all the nations that are east of, of Israel. Here's the explanation that I particularly buy into. At that time, Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers, the day the church was birthed, 3,000 folks became followers of Christ. 3,000 folks were converted to Christ out of all these different ethnic groups, people groups, all these different language groups that were in Jerusalem. God is so amazing. He chose the perfect time to pour out his spirit, right? I think it was like a pebble in a pond. Many who got converted did stay on and become part of the uh, Jerusalem church, but many went back to where they lived. You see where I'm going with this? So one theory of how the gospel got to Italy Notice the bottom of the verse, visitors from Rome, all capitalized and bold. New converts to Christ, new believers from this Pentecost experience went back to Rome, went back to Italy, and they told others about Jesus. Imagine that. Believers who are actually doing what Jesus told us to do. Go tell others about him. Amazing things happen when you do that. Amazing things happen when you obey him and step out in faith. Stuff that's beyond your ability to even think or imagine right now that God wants to do with you, no matter who you are. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too bad. You're not anything that God can't use if you give yourself to him. So they went back. This is the theory. This is what I believe. There's some other ones. But they went back. They told others about Jesus. People believed their message. They accepted Christ. And wham, we got a church in Puttioli. We got a church of believers in Rome. So when Paul arrives, there's the church waiting for him. The brothers and sisters in, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming. Luke is still with them by the we. Luke and Aristarchus are still with Paul. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Apian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged, and he thanked God. Can you imagine his encouragement? What? Believers in Rome must have been doing something right somewhere along the way, the church. Uh, Some history and geography for you who love that. The Forum. It was simply a stopping point for travelers along the Apian Way, like a rest station along the the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It was reported, though, to be an unsavory, dangerous place. There was a lurking criminal element that preyed upon travelers. And it was about 40 to 45 miles south of Rome. That's the Forum. The Apian Way. Amazing. It was the first recognized Paved road, 60 A.D., paved road, a supreme engineering feat of the Roman Empire. It's still visible to this day, 2023. 
though it's no longer in use. It is in disrepair, but many sections are still somewhat intact. It was a remarkable engineering feat by the Romans in, in 60 AD or before that because it was already built. It ran from Rome through the, the, the bottom of, of Italy, south through the bottom of Italy. Then there's the three taverns. Literally translated, it would be the three shops. Not sure what the taverns or the shops were exactly, but it's about 33 miles from Rome, a little less distance than the Forum. And it's considered a one-day trip to get from Rome to the three taverns. It was another sort of rest stop along the Apian Way for weary travelers. Now, it says Paul was encouraged and he thanked God. Some believers from Rome joined them at the Forum. Others joined them at the three shops. Paul is again, after all this time of being in prison, being on the ship, being on the island, Paul is again in the company of believers. After this harrowing journey, you can bet they were having prayer meeting. You can bet they were having church. And, of course, this greatly encouraged Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus to be back with believers. That's the end of the exegesis, short and sweet. On to the conclusion and the application. I think, and this is why I decided to preach the sermon even though we had the, the healing ministry time. I think God has something he wants to emphasize to us today. We've heard it before. We're going to hear it again. Different sermons, as we give these different accounts of Paul, different exegetical material, but very similar applications week after week after week after week. I hope you've been paying attention. When God takes the time to repeat himself, we better be paying attention. He's serious. And if we don't take it serious, it's to our own hurt. Very similar applications week after week after week. We're actually going to take our point to ponder, principle to think about, from the phrase, when we arrived in Rome. And this is the point to ponder, and you've heard it before. Almost exactly like this, but not quite exactly. God is incredibly faithful. About two months ago, we had a point to ponder that was God is incredibly faithful to keep his promises. We're just knocking off that last part. We're staying on. God is incredibly faithful. God is emphasizing this truth to his church today, to his people, to you, to me. We know that we need to fully trust God. We've heard that in here before, right? Fully trust him. But you can't fully trust him if you don't know and if you don't believe he's faithful. You can't trust somebody that's not faithful. Somebody that doesn't show when they say they're going to show, doesn't do what they say they're going to do, or does what they said they weren't going to do. Pretty soon, you can't trust them anymore. Why? Because they're not faithful. So how can you trust God, who you can't even see, if you don't know that he's faithful, or if you don't believe that he's faithful, and he's trying to get that across to his people, he's fully trustworthy. He is faithful. We need to choose to believe it, and that's the whole point of today. We need to choose to believe that. And you wish it was easy, 
And in light of some of the things we're experiencing in, in life, which I'm going to talk about, it makes it even harder. We won't rehash this, but I'm sure you remember how many times God promised Paul he would reach Rome safely. Yet everything in Paul's life, are you listening? God promised Paul over and over again, you're going to Rome. You got work there. And yet everything in Paul's life screamed, that's not true. In Paul's mind, will I get there? If I'm looking at the circumstances of life, no. People, circumstances, situations were again and again against Paul ever getting to Rome. And yet, what did it say in our text today? When we arrived at Rome, because God is incredibly faithful. Not only were humans trying to take Paul out, Satan was at work as well. All the forces of evil, of hell, were trying to take Paul out. And you just wish that God would say he wouldn't allow any of that other stuff to happen and just boop, 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 you're there. Man, unfortunately, he doesn't work like that. It's just the nature of the deal that he doesn't work like that. And so then for us, we have to realize he doesn't work like that. So what does it mean for us along the journey to the destination? Most of us get focused on the destination. We miss the journey. We miss what God's doing in the process because we just want to get to the dedication, get to the destination, and as easy as possible, the least amount of trouble as possible. Maybe you're looking at me like, that's not me, Pastor. I'm really spiritual. That's me. I just want to get to the destination and not have to go through the process. I'm learning, though, to embrace the process, to look for what God's doing in the process, to even find joy in the process. God was faithful to Paul and to the promises he gave Paul, the words that he gave Paul. And Paul is now, today, in our text at least, in Rome. He's not in Rome today. He's in heaven with the Lord. But in our text, he's in Rome. We've heard it before, actually a little over two months ago. Same application. Perhaps a slightly different twist. We're going to hear it again today. We need to hear it. We need to get this. We need to get this to be effective in kingdom work in these days ahead. Did you hear that? We need this. The things that we're asking God to do are not going to happen without pushback. So we need to hear this. I'm going to point out at least one very specific reason why we need to hear this when we get to the end of the scripture time. For now, you know the drill. Um, Acts is going to end in a week or two. We're going to go into the book of Ephesians, and I don't know if we can use this same format in the book of Ephesians. But for now, the format is we give the exegesis, and then we just hit ourselves with tons of scripture. Sit back, allow God's word to speak to you, about his incredible faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. 
His mercies begin afresh each morning. Psalm 25.10, and we'll take a lot from the Psalms. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. Psalm 36.5, your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Psalm 40, 10 and 11. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and your saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and your faithfulness, Lord. Don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and your faithfulness always protect me. Now, we're not saying that it always seems like he's faithful. There's a lot of deception running rampant. But the truth is, he's always faithful, without exception. Psalm 57.3. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 89, 1 through 5, or at least picking out some from those verses. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each new generation. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. For your unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 138.2, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfaithful love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. One more verse, though, there are so many. Micah 6.5, don't you remember, my people? Don't you remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness? Could this be God's heart for his church today? Could this be God's voice to his church today, to all believers, to us? Rather than remember, substitute the words realize or recognize. Don't you realize Don't you recognize my people? I am doing everything I can to teach you about my faithfulness. Psalm 
Are you ignoring that? Are you hearing that? Week after week in here, you are hearing this. I am trying to teach you that I am completely trustworthy, that you can fully trust me. Think about that for a moment. I am trying to teach you, the Lord speaking, not me, I am trying to teach you that I am completely trustworthy, that you can fully trust me. Easy to do Sunday morning gathered with the believers, but Monday's coming, and Tuesday evening, and Thursday afternoon. This is true then as it is now. It's just that then you're in the midst of the forces of life coming against you that tries to deceive us into thinking this isn't true. Boy, it doesn't seem as true Thursday afternoon as it did Sunday morning in church. And this just comes to my mind as something practical. Call somebody. Call another believer and talk to them. Paul was greatly encouraged when they finally met up with some other believers. You would be surprised when you're struggling to call another believer and tell them that you're struggling, how God will use that in your life to encourage you, to help you remember what you felt Sunday morning, that you're not feeling Thursday evening. Conclusion. Why is God so strongly emphasizing this truth to us today? And I believe it's larger than us. I believe it some form or another. This is the message going out from God to his church. Why is God so strongly emphasizing this truth to us today? Actually, over and over again, trying to repeatedly teach us about his incredible trustworthiness, his incredible faithfulness. Do I have your attention? Okay, because my answer to this question, what I'm going to say next, is not Scripture. It's the caveat. This is not Scripture. This is an impression that I had while I was preparing this sermon. It may be a prophetic word. It may not. Therefore, you will need to decide if you want to buy into this or not, after you hear it. It actually kind of startled me when it first came into my mind, and I sort of just assumed it was God, and then I was backing off thinking, I'm not really so sure that's God, and I'm not really so sure I should say it. I think I'll write it out of the sermon. But then I had the strong impression not to write it out of the sermon, so you're going to hear it. I questioned if it was really God, and it comes from the title, or the title actually comes from this, No Doubt, No Doubt, No Doubt. Satan is releasing a wave of doubt upon God's people. Satan will be, already is, Satan will be implementing strategies against God's people, against God's believers, against the church, against you, against me. And those strategies are intended us to doubt who God is and what he said. 
to doubt his written word, even to doubt his written word itself, to doubt his prophetic words to us, his promises to us. I have personally already experienced this. Perhaps you have as well. I have had to fight through to fully trust God when things don't make sense, when things even seem to be completely contradictory to what I think they should be. Part of our defense against these strategies of the enemy is that we must be fully persuaded of the trustworthiness of God. We must be fully persuaded that he is incredibly faithful. We must be fully persuaded that God is credible. He can be believed no matter what. Hence today's message. And I hope that it was helpful for you. Whether you believe that this word is prophetic and God is saying something to the church about Satan's strategies or not doesn't matter. It doesn't diminish the truth that you heard today. I just feel that there's a reason he's giving us this truth and it's to prepare us for those things that are going to come into our lives that are intended to cause us to doubt God, doubt his word. To be forearmed, right? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. One final thought, it's a related topic that God has been addressing with us lately. And the topic is adversity and trials. Maybe this will make sense as we wrap it up. I hope it does. The reason God's been addressing adversity and trials and all those things we've been talking about is because Satan's strategy will incorporate all of those things. Satan's strategy will be to bring adversity. Satan's strategy will be to bring trials and tribulation and, and all that comes along with that. Good to know the following. It's on the screen. Adversity and trials do not in any way lessen or diminish God's faithfulness. Do you hear that? It's good to remember that. When you're in the midst of adversity and trial. Adversity and trials do not in any way lessen or diminish God's faithfulness. God is in the adversity. God is in the trial. Deb, if you'll come pray. Sonny, if you'll bring the band up. And uh, we'll close out this, today's service. Are you going to be able to? I'll stay with you. <laughs> I'm my warrior army. <laughs> Can't move to over there. I'm standing here. You want to stand with me and we'll pray? I have my warrior army up here with me. Um, I'm suffering from some vertigo, and I believe that's an attack of the enemy, so I'm declaring that he has no control over me. No control. I'm praying for healing, and I believe for healing for the anointing I received today. So I just want to share that with you guys. So as we, let's pray. As we, Father, as we go forward, we pray now that you would rebuke the doubt that's going to come into our minds. And it could be physical, for physical healing. It could be for emotional healing. Uh, it could be for the things that are happening in our families. But, Father, we rebuke that doubt. Lord, we trust in you. Greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. And Father, we won't have any of the schemes of the devil. Amen. We won't accept that, Father. You, we Father. accept only what you're Victory giving us. Jesus, yeah. And Father, we, just, we praise you for that. We just praise you for what you're doing in our lives. We praise you for the things that we see happening. And Father, help us to remember there's always a reason for those things that That's are happening. Right. Yep. Help us to look for that, Father. Help us to realize that you're still in control. Yes. This world hasn't changed as far as the control. You're still there, Father. The enemy has just been able to run wild, Father, until the end times. We are in the end times. And Father, um, the Lord just brought my sister Jackie to my mind, and Father, she's going for surgery on Wednesday. And I just lift her up, Father. I pray that you'd be with Jackie, that there'd be no fear there. I know that she's had some struggles with that, Father, so I just pray for, for Jackie that you remove the fear and place her in your hands. In the name of Jesus, I pray we go forth, Father, and be witnesses for you. Yep. Amen. Come with me. Thank you. Amen.